Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in an empty and quarantined capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Alex Wood, Director of the Natural Health Service, Swansea's first integrated health clinic. Alex, hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, We might as well address uh, the elephant in the room. How has COVID-19 affected your business thus far? Well, it's a very large inconvenient elephant, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it entirely closed down as, uh, you know, at the clinic where I work, you know, we have uh, acupuncture, massage, homeopathy, reflexology, chiropractic, all of these things involve close contact with people. So, um, yeah, we're closed. And I imagine that it's rather difficult to work from home in those fields. Well, some of the practitioners who work where I do are able to work from home. You know, the psychotherapists, some of them are seeing maybe 50% of their clients uh, via, you know, phone and Skype and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, acupuncture is a uh, fairly physical contact sort of uh, therapy. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm kind of out of business. I've got a couple of patients who I'm, you know, having a chat with over the phone um, and uh, advising some exercises via a video link. But um, other than that, it's um, all grinding to a halt. Do you feel that the government's response uh, to the uh, outbreak has been proportionate? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, given given how quickly this virus is spreading, we've just all got to stop and take stock of uh, mm. what's going on. And um you know, hopefully, I mean, you know, you hear different figures, don't you? Three weeks, 12 weeks, I don't know. But, you know, looking at what the Royal, you know, what, what the Royal Imperial College of London has said and the fact that we seem to be following Italy's sort of wave of illness, we've got to get past that peak. And then when the trough start, you know, starts coming back down, then we'll be in a place where we can think about getting back to normal. Well, uh, let's pivot to the subject of leadership. I always like to start the conversation off with asking a very simple question that sometimes has a rather complex answer. What does the word leader mean to you? Hmm. Uh, I guess it's um, someone who has aspirations and directions that, um, you know, one feels are... uh, inspiring mm-hmm. and a, a direction and a quality that, you know, one would want to embody oneself or somebody who's just good at bringing people together. Did you ever have any uh, leaders within uh, your circle, uh, whether it was someone that you worked with or for that really inspired you to become the person you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think leader, leader, leader in my work is, is quite a broad field in that, you know, most people in the natural health business are individuals. Um, you know, it's a very individualistic sort of culture in a way in that it's not a corporate structure, but there are natural leaders within the, you know, acupuncture community and the community of sort of, you know, homeopaths, natural medicine, osteopaths, whatever it is. And those are people who are usually very much engrossed and dedicated to their work and exploring the avenues of wherever that takes them. So, yeah, there's been several people in my life who influenced me for example a, a guy called tim davis who's an amazingly good acupuncturist and herbalist and um you know uh somebody I've, I've always you know respected as a mentor and somebody who's you know i've known 
um, for no, 20 years now and aspired to be like in some ways, I guess, you know. So um, he's definitely yeah. a, a leader within the acupuncture profession. Have you ever mentored anyone? Um, not sort of directly in that I haven't done any mentorship training, but I have student acupuncturists sometimes who come to the clinic. And obviously having been in practice now, whatever it is, 18, 19 years, I guess some, you know, practitioners who are just sort of going out into the world of acupuncture or natural medicine, because I think there's an overlap in setting up a business and, uh, you know, in, in natural medicine, whether you're an acupuncturist, masseur, chiropractor, you know, you need to have an absolute passion about it. It has to be a vocation. And, and that's what's really got to me the last week, having to close the clinic. It's made me realize how much I love my job. It's it's important to have that passion and that love for the, for one's job, isn't it? Um, what's your advice to people who are in situations in in the world of work where they're not in love with their job, but they're just doing it for the check? Uh, what advice would you give to them? Now that's really tough because I, I, I have you know I've, I've always I've always really struggled to do things that I don't enjoy, and obviously you know in every job there's a bit of that, and if you know, more than 80% of my job was something I didn't enjoy, I'd really struggle. So I'd say you have to look inside where you're going and what you're doing and question, are you doing the right thing? Now, unfortunately, our time together isn't unlimited, uh, but I'd like to uh, tick over a couple of things before we get there. Um, If I was to ask you to objectively identify uh, the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? (laughs) Tricky question, I I know. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know that's a very big one. Um, you know, I'm 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 not I'm, I'm probably an agnostic, but I'd probably say Buddha was a great leader because at least he was leading the human race in the right direction. Mm, mm. And and do you feel that uh, the uh, Buddha's teachings can be used in a management sense within business? Well, yeah, I think compassion is uh, what the world needs, and and I think that's also what's interesting about what's happened now with this uh, you know pandemic thing is. Suddenly, you can look out to sea. I've just been for a swim with my boys. I live by the coast. And, um, you know, you can't see one boat going up and down. No big tankers. There's no planes going overhead. There's no pollution. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that's essential to sort of Buddhist teachings, which is, you know, we, we, we've got to slow down our growth. We can't sustainably carry on um, just draining our resources on this planet. And, um, you know, that's one positive thing that's come out as my son was just reminding me as we were walking back from the beach. Well, you know, at least nobody's polluting. I can't hear any cars. I can't see any planes. And he's got a point. Um, we do need to slow down and reflect. And, and perhaps this next 12 weeks, in, is, is though it's a tragically sad time because I know a lot of people are suffering and, you know, will be suffering and we're all in fear. Um, of the uncertainty, but perhaps when we all get back to some sense of normality, we can think about not being so needing and needing so much and needing to continually grow in such an unsustainable way. Now, uh, our time really is up now, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Natural Health Service? Well, that's an interesting question again, because... uh, some of our practitioners are now at business. Some of them, I don't think, will come back to working in the clinic. So we've got a rent holiday from our, our, our landlord. And um, 
But we'll get back, and um, I would say we'll get back on our feet. And when we land there, it will it will be different because I think maybe we'll all be thinking about our health a bit more. Well, Alex, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program today, and I hope you come back on at some point in the near future. Alex, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Alex Wood, Director of the Natural Health Service. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days, um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like, uh, Ron, uh, there, it's also important to have, uh, uh, confidence with, your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence 
uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier and played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that, that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that 
it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Well, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, 
I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, 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 a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and, uh, and Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration um, you, but, you don't but, have to but I will well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it uh, perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? 
hope players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to, their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. Well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back on an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. 
there was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You... We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude okay. alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team, the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.